0: So I have um, kicked this off by breaking your spirit with a really festive itinerary of podcast stuff.
1: Ah, So exciting. Everything. I want to say, uh, as we have moved to our new cadence of bi-weekly here for a time, uh, it is uh, far enough distance in between podcasts that finding the record button inside of Reaper just took that extra split second. So I uh, need to be in here poking around a little bit more, one might say.
0: Well, you know, we're also doing a, a morning hit. And so, you know, the coffee hasn't really started flowing just yet. You know, I got, actually, um, I had a wonderfully explosive morning with my kids. Uh, we, uh, Nora did not want to go to school today. She was just not mm. feeling it. And she's missed a lot. Like, I feel like a lot of kids have missed a lot because all of these bugs are just crashing and everybody's immune system is like two years behind. And so Henry had strep earlier in the week and got to stay home. And so Nora really felt that it was her turn and, you know, woke up, but didn't have any throat issues, didn't have a fever, wasn't throwing up. everything like So we just had to get it going and ended up wildly missing the bus. I had to drive her in before. So that's kind of why we did this shift to doing an office one. But, man, kids, school, and I feel it like it's a Friday and – I also would have liked to have stayed in my SpongeBobs and played video games.
1: Yes, that would be the thing. Would you be playing PAL World? Was that what you'd be playing?
0: That's certainly what my son is playing, uh, and hmm. almost exclusively, it seems like. Doesn't it? I mean, did Craftopia go away and just get replaced by PAL World?
1: That does seem like what happened. I. I This is such a weird phenomenon for anyone uh, who hasn't been following it, and that's probably like four people left in the world. There's this new game that is a shameless ripoff of Pokemon, uh, which I don't profess to have a ton of knowledge about, but who doesn't know what Pikachu is? And uh, it is just this idea that you're just these characters running around collecting uh, pals instead of Pokemons and... You do it with guns and stuff, uh, also, instead of just, you know, friendship or whatever happens with regular Pokemon and, uh, just a stunningly explosive thing. It's, I think they crested 17 million users, uh, or something like that. Uh, total, not, you know, concurrent, of course, but, um, just in the week or two that it's been out, um, it's, uh, it is taking the world by storm. Uh, so. Yeah,
0: it doesn't look great from what I've seen. And yeah, I mean, not to Dragon Craftopia, but it definitely had some of that like clunkiness to it and the moving around and the starting half naked and just like random ancient underwear. Like, okay, like I've seen it before, but now with Pokemons yeah. or Pals. Yeah.
1: Yes. Pals. definitely pals. Yes, <laughs> Nintendo's lawyers would like a word. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> They're definitely pals. Definitely. Yeah. Um, well, I wanted to
0: do what we said we were going to do and do a little project okay. updating and Let's get, get into some things. So uh, going to have these kinks worked out by next week, but I wanted to play you a snippet of something to kind of talk about some album concept stuff. And we are going to fix it in post because I – couldn't make it so that you could hear it, but we have a DAW and I can drop a clip in. Um, So I wanted to kind of just talk about like the concept of the project that I'm working on in very broad strokes. Uh, You know, I've done an album with Brigid With You, an album with Milton Sills, Brab is Free back in the day, put out an EP, but I've never done a solo project before. And as we've... uh, waxed poetically on this pod before, you know, we're getting older and feeling a little bit like our contributions to the universe need to get done and not, you know, just kind of sit around and smoke as fun as that is. Um, Mm -hmm. So in doing this, you know, I would released uh, two singles on uh, streaming services really just to get my beak wet. And they were songs that didn't really fit in any greater place. You know, I liked them. I was proud of them. I put more time mixing them and kind of getting them right than I have often done, but they weren't part of a more cohesive thing. And so with those out there, with all of the social setup and everything, it's time to like roll up my sleeves and do a full on proper album. And that requires an awful lot of germaning that does not come naturally to me. Uh, You know, I mean, if you've Followed along the Notion page that I put together at all, you will have seen like my very sensible, you know, nine to 12 track album balloon to like 27 tracks that I've now recorded. And, you know, like somebody needs to just pull me physically away from a keyboard, I think, at some point. (laughs) Um, But there's actually like, there's method to that because what I want to do is take the 25 years plus of Songs that I've written for me and find a core that's telling a story. And uh, the story, at least for this, that I'm trying to tell is really one of what I've learned about love. I know that sounds kind of hokey, but, um, you know, when I think back about, think back on my life, like starting in my early 20s, so many of the eras of my life. And I think this is true for you too. And I don't think it's true for everybody. You know, there's a lot of people who just kinda casually see people or Netflix and chill. But like a lot of my life has been defined by the relationships that I had at those times. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I've generally been in a relationship more than kind of like casually unattached at different points. And as I was starting to like go back into this archive of songs that I've worked on, uh the flavor and like these periods of productivity and creativity that I've had were largely defined either by um, the excitement, uh, you know, that um as the kids and Dan Savage and other pot like sex podcasters call like the new relationship energy, right? Like you get that, like just bubbly goodness when your pheromones are getting all over each other and everything's like exciting and the sun's just a little bit brighter and, as we both know, there's also the inverse of that, you know, when things start to kind of fall apart. And both of those have always been inflection points for me that have brought me to write and create music. And it's not always been directly like to that person necessarily, but more just those two emotional states that are kind of like this bipolar pendulum of creative energy, either for good or for ill. And so now, as I was going through it, I sort of started chopping things up into um, relationships from high school, from college, and from after is kind of the way it chomps. And you know, each one, you know, some folks might not, you know, make the final edit and maybe on the cutting room floor. But like, there's like one or two relationships that were definitional for a period in my life. And so, you know, bounding out to like 27 songs is not what's going to be on the album, but it's going to help me winnow that down and figure out like what best defines this era and what works cohesively in a single album, you know, because I don't want it to just be a collection of songs. I want it to have a sound and a flow that makes sense and, you know, you don't recognize yourself in any of this and it's not really about that but you want to understand like that that flow and that learning to finally get to a point you know in my late 20s early 30s where I met my wife and I was at a point where I was ready for that and I don't know that mm-hmm. I was ready for that at any point prior you know or it would have happened but the things that I learned about, Being a good partner, being a good roommate, you know, some of the pain and loss that kind of shapes us and makes us into who we are um, is kind of the overall idea. Because it's a solo project and that doesn't mean like I'm not going to have any collaborators, but like it's mostly based on, you know, my direction without that very capable and very useful shaping that, you know, A band or collaborators really bring in and kind of like, here's some chords, here's some words, what should we do with it? Um, So I set a couple of rules for myself. Um, And one of those rules was I didn't want to use any sampled instruments. As as I got writing, you know, I was Mm -hmm. doing some of the stuff I started with was very synthy, but I realized that the more I was writing, the more I was rewriting, the more I was going back to my compositional background and actually writing more than just what I would do if I was going to a band, which is lay down some chords and you know sing over it so we've got kind of like this structure. And when I actually got into it to get it right, to make the drums not floaty, I was truly composing. And so there's like a couple of tools that I just wanted to like Jump in on that to get to the no sampled instruments and making composing really easy. Um, yes, I please. wanted to
1: jump in here for a second and uh, ask a couple things. Um, first, uh, I, I, I didn't want it to escape because some of your your prologue I thought uh, had some some uh, some some touch points that I think a lot yeah. of people can relate to, and you were talking kind of the way into love, way out of love. You know the the. And entrance and Exodus, uh, and how, <clears throat> excuse me, there, there was these, these moments in there, um, where it drove you to creativity. And I thought that was like a, 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 interesting thing because it, it's almost, I'm thinking about, uh, uh, like a, like a vessel that's being filled at the, at the, at a water faucet that, uh, at those moments, there's so much, magic there's so much emotion there's so much energy let's just call it energy so it doesn't have a whole bunch of flavor um that the vessel can't hold it anymore and uh would it be a fair uh not to kind of softball you and lead you down a particular uh uh uh, line of (laughs) question and answer but um my interpretation of what you said um is it that it is an overflowing vessel at those particular moments and that's where your creativity is able to kind of capture everything that overflows into something that looks like music? Or is, or am I seeing it very wrongly? And no, I think
0: you're seeing out. it incredibly right. You know, it is. there's an overflow. There's also a bit of a compulsion. You know, I mean, some people are trained in martial arts or meditate and, you know, there's times in all of our lives where we are overwhelmed by our capacity for emotion and for good or bad and it's more than just that kind of like level getting through our day getting our coffee and it's just it's got to go somewhere right you know and important do their relationship or do really weird stuff and get all kind of stalkery and you know hyper focused on you know whatever that is and building that tower up until it collapses and for me, that's always been songwriting, you know, that's always been that outlet, that place where it goes. And, um, you know, I've had dry spells, like, in the middles of relationships, you know, there's been a long, long stretches in my marriage and having kids where I haven't really written or done a lot of music. And that's because life kind of stepped in, and it was just like humming, and we're just going. And so, you know, I'm sort of, Manufacturing myself into being in that space with this. And that's another reason why I'm going back to older songs and like having that permission structure to build this story so that I can then leapfrog to the next story and to be fresh, you know, and to start doing some new things and finding new ways to inspire. But yeah, I think most good music, and I'm fully being a, a Judgy bitch, which I think, you know, we love is, um, we love
1: that. Yeah. It it, makes for great podcasting. Even if it's
0: fictional, it's like this weird ass story, that's drug infused, but some of that shit came from somewhere real. You know, the, what do they say at the start of every Fargo, Mm -hmm. you know, it Mm -hmm. out of respect for the survivors, the names have been changed out of, um, uh, in honor of the dead and the rest has been told exactly as it happened you know I mean I, I think like most music that yes. hits yes. that really yes. touches you is coming from someplace real and that doesn't mean that they're talking about it it just means that that core yeah. emotion is coming from there and I think you can kind of tell when something's a little goofy uh, not to drag on the Al City guy but you know the kids have been really kind of spinning that and it's very candy pop but if you listen to the album that fireflies came from the whole album is just like that saccharine and you start listening Mm -hmm. to the lyrics and they're just like nonsensical and that feels like bach doing you know all of his studies for an equal tempered thing where you know it's almost like a science thing where that dude was trying to do a perfect production and a perfect candy pop album and succeeded, but there's not a lot of heart in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, fireflies is mm-hmm. a decent mm-hmm. song and probably on that album may have come from somewhere a little more real, but like a lot of it is, you know, um, am a manta ray, I'm the mountain. And it's just like, what the, what are you, who are you identifying? Like, what is all of this? Um,
1: Yeah. Interesting that as you're saying that I I think about, you know, broader pieces of art too. And I know we wanted to keep the top of our pod tight for some of this stuff, but some really interesting conversations coming out of this. I think that when I think about like, you know, movies and TV shows as well, albums, is another great place where there is room in society. And I'm sure that we both agree that there's room in our society for safer content, like where that is not manufactured from deep emotional places um because sometimes we need it too, right like there's uh I, I we won't get to it today, but I definitely want to talk about Alan Wake too at some point, finally finish that up and um there's uh a couple of things about that game, and there's a couple of spots in the middle where i would come around to ten thirty eleven at night and would want to chop away at it a little bit and I I was a conscientious objector. I said, "I'm a. I just had a tough day. I I don't need any demons screaming in my face. <laughs> it's a little, it's a little, little upsetting, and I'm I am not in a place to be upset. So no, thank you. Uh, and uh, and so um, I think that you know I. I a good friend of mine um, who I'm hoping to actually uh, spend some time with uh, uh, coming up here on a a work trip, Uh, Rory. We we used to uh, get together in Texas, work on wood projects and stuff. And I would talk to him about TV shows. um, And sometimes he would just glaze over when I would talk about a show that I would like. And he would just tell me, he goes, you know, when I get home from work, he's like, I'll put on friends reruns. That's what I'll put on. And uh and I I would just like my jaw would just drop it. I'm like, Oh my God, how can you not watch, you know, this super emotionally involved, thick, crazy thing, right? And he's like he's and he would just look at me like deadpan and he'd say, Tim, I am worn out when I get home at the end of the day. I don't need that. What I need is something to help me unplug, get back to where I need to be so that I can just, you know, g- calm down and go to bed. And uh, at the time I'm like, well, <laughs> you know, with all my, all my snooty highfalutin, you know, television watching, like, how could you, how could you possibly miss all of this wonderful content? And, and it really does make sense that, that there is content in the world that is safer. That is that, that doesn't have to always dig directly into the bottom of emotions and kick up a bunch of substrate. It is there for people to, you know, touch all of those, you know, places, uh, for sure. And I love that. You love that. It sounds like this project is that for sure. Um, but that there is also stuff like some of the kind of candy or pop stuff that is, is meant to be safe. It's meant to be a place where people can just enjoy with those guardrails, with the safety yeah. of it being, you know, okay content, right? Like uh, approved for everyone, e for everyone, um, is, is that so, uh, so thank mm-hmm. you for letting me do that a uh, bit of a divergence super quick, just before you talk about this. And then we add the thing in post, um, Sampled and non-sampled, physical, non-physical. Can you give a, a real safe uh, <laughs> explanation yeah, of that so um, before we get into? If in, you're playing
0: know. stuff yourself, you know there's uh, synthesized music that uh, you know the instruments sound like sense, and there's uh, really no question about it. it. If you think about a B three organ, right? That was originally designed to. Mm-hmm mimic a pipe organ, you know, it was originally built to be in churches where they didn't have room for pipe organs and then some very cool people, most of them black, you know, were kicking off Black History Month and already, you know, fallen on her face, sat down and made those fuckers growl, right? And, you know, everybody knows that B three sound, you know, you just Mm -hmm. start at the bottom Mm -hmm. and you just rip those keys all the way up, and it sounds like nothing else in the world, you know, with that vibrato and all of that. Um, and that's kind of synthesizers, right? Uh, you know, they were sort of getting going in the 60s and 70s, and we have different kinds of synthesis, and the one that you hear with all of the things that sound like synths is subtractive. And th- I'm going to keep this all to like 10 seconds on each left to get to build the house. But subtractive, basically, you start with yeah. a sound, yeah. a waveform... And then you filter it and you add an envelope and you start cutting away from it and shaping until it sounds like something else. And so you get those um, big brass sounds, uh, you know, any cyberpunk, anything that you've ever watched, you know, has like those big wongs and, you know, like transformers moving is all like subtractive sense mm-hmm. making those sounds. Um, there's a couple of other kinds of synthesis. Um the B3 and a couple of other devices use additive synthesis, where what you're doing with those drawbars is taking a fundamental note and then adding partials over it because a real instrument, if you um, strum a guitar string or a bass string or if you play a trumpet, what it is is it's a tone, but then there's all of these overtones over it that are actually informing like what you're hearing. And so you've got like an octave up but quieter and above that. And if you have a piano around you, you can see how this works really easily by putting down the sustain pressing one key lower. And then as you're listening and watching, you can see other strings above it are vibrating a little bit too. And those are like the overtones. And so that shapes the sound. Um, mm-hmm.
1: So some might say the yes, difference between a 3D printer a and e- a machine. Equally nerdy. I
0: love it. Let's just double down on...
1: yes yeah i I wanted to make sure that we alienated whoever was left. so (laughs) that's the other other, option if
0: you're not using synths would be to use samples and so if you have like a part that needs an acoustic grand piano there's these libraries of like hundreds of gigabytes that you know have gone in and recorded every note on that piano mic'd it differently different velocity you know how hard you hit the key and put all that up and that's like sampling and I decided kind of early on in this process that I didn't want to use sampling in this project. I wanted to use sounds that I could create or were created synthetically, but the deeper I got into this, uh, you know, I wanted electric piano sounds, I wanted acoustic piano sounds, and I wanted strings and horns. And so that takes us to the kind of synthesis that I was talking about, which is physical modeling and... Physical modeling, in short, uses math to figure out what would happen if you struck a pan and like what would that sound like and how would it resonate. And so it's actually synthesizing in the computer what does that surface look like and how does it respond to a hammer, to a mallet, to different things. And so you can get very far Um and so the two tools that I've been coming back to a lot on this album is an app called PianoTech, which is pianos, electric pianos, and an a classical acoustic guitar, none of which exist. So there's no samples at all in this. They've just figured out the math to make these piano sounds and to make them really breathtaking. It's uh, really something that I would go to over a sample based on quality of sound alone. So that's a really easy thing. But then I got to writing and I started think like I really want horns and some strings and some of this stuff because I'm pulling from that classical composition, trying to do more as a solo project than just lay down some chords. Um, and those are really hard to, to fake. You know, when you get into like wind instruments and bowed strings, the problem isn't so much can I make a sound that if I hold down a key sounds kind of like it? It's when you're dealing with those acoustic instruments, just like the guitar, there's a lot of articulation. You know, there's a lot that's going on that, you know, the player is the envelope who's deciding, you know, when the sound starts and stops and whether there's a little bit of vibrato or expression or whether they're sliding into a note or sliding out of it. And that's very true of trumpets and saxophones and guitars and strings and all of these things, especially fretless strings like a violin, where those little nuances in the intonation as you're moving around make the performance, right, and make it believable. And so I spent a lot of time just Mm kind of being down about this and wondering if I was going to have to break this rule, and I found this tool called um, Swam, which is Swam. It's uh, by... Acoustic Engineering Swam. or Audio Engineering, some company with a very forgettable name. But they have a collection of physically modeled instruments, and they don't actually let you play the plugins unless you prove that you have enough expression controllers to do it. So when you first like load this up in a system and you know pull up a trumpet, if you go to press a key on your piano, it throws a warning and doesn't make any sound saying continuous control of expression is required to play this thing, you know, please wiggle your expression pedal or whatever you've got. And it won't start making noise until you show that you've got that envelope because you are controlling expression which is very much like breath on the wind instruments. So just hitting a key is not going to do it because hitting a key is Mm -hmm. basically a percussion instrument. It's always the same envelope. It's that short stop and you can't hit the key slower to kind of bring it on. But if you think about trumpet or sax, you can like breathe in slowly and kind of bring that in. You have different tonguing techniques. And so they've built these really very believable instruments that respond if you're playing them right and have kind of blown my mind. And so they've become sort of a core part of this where I'm using kind of an ensemble on a lot of these different tracks. That's usually, you know, one woodwind, one horn and two strings. And, um, has like a really just good, rich texture. And because they're physically modeled, I don't have to keep them in that purely acoustic space. I can kind of pull with them a little bit and like turn your head sideways a little bit as, you know, trumpet is sort of morphing into something that's, you know, not where it started, but still fitting into the mix and fitting into that song.
1: So um, I'd say here's a good place to pause for Fix It in Post, and maybe you would right here play for us uh, uh, a sample Um, of, of what you would be playing. Adding that there.
0: Chatting now that we've heard that. Great. So Yeah, that was a, I think, 15, 20 second sample at the intro of one of the songs. And that had um, trumpet, clarinet, viola, and cello in it. And kind of almost like a, not quite klezmer, but almost like a Broadway-ish kind of like ensemble intro to get into the song. And so I'm trying to use more of that in this album to build it out and give it a consistent feel throughout without being overproduced. And so I'm trying to like work my way back. Um, one of the things that I've discovered in Ableton and worked my way back to Bitwig and some others is something that I've never known before. You can layer MIDI tracks on top of each other. So if you okay. color code your tracks and then pull them up, like select all, then when you're looking at your actual MIDI ed- er- editor, you see each instrument in place. And it's the first time I felt like that since I was in college doing classical composition on an actual score where you can kind of see where everything is interrelating in a way that when you're doing traditional band or traditional production work, you don't really see that. Like you see the tracks and where they fit, but you don't have that like compositional aid where everything's coming together and you can see exactly, you know, where the counterpoint's happening, where the accents are happening and, that's been a really powerful tool that I'm, I'm looking forward to starting to deploy.
1: That's really exciting. Um, another question about that, I know we might be running a bit long for our intro, so we, we, we'll we we'll kind of course correct as we go, but I do have another question that, that popped yeah. in as you were talking about the writing piece. W- with, the, um, with that writing, you were talking about the layering of MIDI. I am trying to equate that to what it would look like for actual written music, like notated music. Um, have you in any of this process uh since these are modeled uh, I guess I'm going to assume that you're starting with a keyboard that you're playing on so that you can actually send the notes up right and then using this modeling to actually turn that what would be a piano sound or whatever sound uh to to be a trumpet to be a clarinet to be whatever um so assuming that for a second and please correct that if that's not true but uh would have you found any benefit to uh, writing out anything uh, so far? and Or would you see that uh, in terms of writing it out from a more classical notation way? So
0: I, I kind of am doing the writing it out because uh, Swam is such an asshole about how their instruments are made to be played. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. really performing each one So if I have four parts, once I have those four parts ready, I'm playing through the whole trumpet. I'm playing through the whole sax. I'm playing through the whole violin like I'm not. So the way I'm getting there is starting with, you know, a basic kind of ensemble-y patch that I'm not going to use and laying down chords, harmonies, basic structure of the hit and looking at that. And then from there, sort of writing or looking at the notation and where it's fitting in the whole song, and then writing those individual parts. And so once yeah. I kind of have a sense of that, you know, it's a mix between following exactly what I've done in that sort of scratch track that's been composed and allowing some of the life to come from the performance, you know, some of those natural imperfections where, you know, you might have a hit and the two horn players are, you know, a 30 second note apart, you know, where one comes in just a hair early, even with expert the studio musicians where, you know, they're not going to be exactly quantized like, you know, a true like MIDI electronic music thing would be. And so Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm doing that. And I found Logic Pro, which I don't use a lot, will actually turn MIDI into notation. And so there've been one or two places Mm -hmm. where I've opened that up because I Logic Pro is like Fruity Loops. Once upon a time, you bought it once and you own it forever. And I'm sure Apple regrets that not being a subscription, but, you know,
1: uh, that's like really, we should say it just a little louder. They'll fix it. Well, I
0: I mean, they, I think they did on the iPad, like the iPad version of that Mm -hmm. is like five bucks a month just for the permission to use a stripped down version. So uh, they're working on it, but that's a cool tool. Um, I'd love to find something that's like third party and just like integrates into Ableton because it really it's not for everybody you know a lot of people see a piano roll and see that relationship and it's just as valid but seeing that in traditional um, notation is cool and depending on how much progress i make and how quickly some of this i may break out my trumpet and record some of those parts and you know find somebody to do the string parts and you know replace them where appropriate and so i would mm-hmm. at that point mm-hmm. need sheet music so Um, Yeah, it's very much a part of it, and one of the things I'm most excited about this is it's really blending my rock, songwriter, jazz, and classical composition worlds together to try to make everything make sense. So, yeah, I look forward to sharing more as we go along.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I, I would love to not to, you know, promise we'll definitely do this. I'd definitely put some more uh, work in your lap, but I would love to, uh, if you do decide at one point that you want to actually play trumpet, you know what I mean? Like I would love to have a sample of both you playing a note or two, and then also what swam, um, perceives as a trumpet that's physically modeled and like kind of having both samples here on, on the pod to, for people to actually hear the difference and how close and how not close they are. Um, I think that would be super rad for, for, for people to hear it, I'm actually excited to hear the the swam uh, modeling. It sounds that sounds pretty cool. Yeah,
0: it, it's definitely uh, it's all about the performance. Uh, you know, I'm, I think I can tell where the trumpet is not accurate more than I can tell where the sax is not accurate, and I'm sure the inverse would be true if I was a sax player. Like you sure. know, if you're really in it. But I think you can also sort of bury that then in an ensemble where you're not just listening to a solo sax. Um, but there's some good, like, YouTube videos. There's a, one guy um, it's a couple years old who has gone and taken, like, small string ensemble videos and classic rock songs and, like, redone the sax solo in Swam. And so you've got, like, the video playing along with, like, what he did in MIDI um, for these different things. Yeah. And, like, you, he's able to, like, cut back and forth. And so you can, like, really A-B it in a real way. And, like, I mean, that guy's, like a savant because you see his MIDI track with like the envelopes going all over the place. But like, that's some of the most convincing stuff I've ever seen with it.
1: That's amazing. That's really cool. Uh, That's cool. So yeah, so we, I, uh, um, great, great, uh, uh, keeping with, uh, with project stuff. I feel we may, um, I may, uh, uh, be, uh, uh, selfish jerk, and uh, see if I can take the top of the next yeah. podcast just for <laughs> from for my project. Um, uh, just so that you know, we're not Definitely. cramming too much. I know we had a big list, and and we have little time, so uh, I, I, I figure uh, I'll I'll kind of do some wax poetic and and uh, and and a bit for the for the next pod and, and do that. But that was fantastic. That that really gives me kind of a very cool uh, uh, vision of where where you're going. Um, and speaking of visions, nice. speaking of the vision, a professional vision.
0: A, pro, a vision that's pro,
1: you're saying? A pro a, a professional. Yeah. vision.
0: Yeah, so today is um, February 2nd. This is launch day for the Apple Vision Pro. Um, I'm very curious what the odds of somebody just walking into an Apple store and walking out with one are, given that I think they only made like 160,000 to 200 of them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That would be something. I also, uh, uh, I, I, I think you should be working for a living on your Friday, not being able to walk in there and spend $3,500 on this toy. <laughs> so I don't Counterpoint know. point um, if you can, you probably don't need to work for a living
0: on a Friday. probably don't need to work.
1: That might be it. That might be it. I uh, have seen all the things wrong. <laughs> um, yes. So uh, that is here. Uh, I, I forwarded to you from a couple days ago. Uh, the Verge did a uh, what I thought to be a pretty darn yeah. balanced YouTube review view of, uh, of, of it, um, of the device. Um, for folks that don't know, I don't think Apple's going to let you not know, but for folks that don't know, um, the vision pro is Apple's spatial computing device. Am I saying that right? Spatial computing device.
0: That is, I mean, that is what they're calling it. Uh, and I oh. think where the verge really got it right. So I watched that one. And then there was also, And the Washington Post or Wall Street Journal, one of like the traditional big papers had one where their correspondent went like on a 24-hour retreat to wear it like for a full day and just keep it on Mm. like outside of her family and just live with it. And so that was also an interesting take, not altogether different from The Verge, and I was impressed and happy to see that The Verge wasn't really fawning over this. Like it was an incredibly focused and you know semi existential take on what's going on. But they don't mince words. This is a VR headset. It is a very expensive VR headset with really fucking wonderful displays and great cameras um, and a lot of other compromises. But it's it's a VR headset. It is not spatial computing or anything else. I think at one point. In the video, you know, Verge just had the Vision Pro next to Oculuses and other, you know, and Vives and showing that it's the same GD thing. It is not a different Mm -hmm. product. It is a higher resolution product and, you know, all, you know, cookies to Apple for getting those uh, OLED 4K per eye screens in there. You know, that does make a difference and the external cameras that are passing through, you know, improve that quality for those, you know, A-R-E kind of things, but it's just a VR headset. It's really what we've got.
1: That's what they made, yeah. I I definitely, uh, it seems like, uh, you know, we've said a couple of times, you know, when Apple decides to have a a something, uh, a device that is part of a certain you know, uh, either creating in the case of say the, the iPad or, um, or Apple watch, like creating a certain form factor or device category, uh, or they are, uh, entering one that it already exists. Um, the weight of that company can come in and, and certainly push things around and make developers who hadn't, been around this thing notice, um, beforehand, uh, they can invest tech, uh, money in their technology. Um, I saw something today that I thought was kind of weird. Um, mm. I, I, and I wanted to get your take on the, what I saw today. I saw, uh, that over the last quarter, uh, meta Facebook, uh, uh, uh parent company, uh, had, uh, something I, I, it was, they basically had, a. um, one of their best quarters ever in their VR AR mixed reality space at like a billion dollars in revenue or something like that, or, 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 gross, you know, sales or what have you. Um, but then they came back and said something like, but the division for AR has actually lost $4 billion. Um, so that's not that big a deal. And I I just haven't seen that same article about Apple because it's something tells me that they've probably spent a little bit of money in R&D to get this Vision Pro off the ground. And so it's it was like a weird kind of schadenfreude thing to say about Meta like that, like, well, they had a great quarter, but look at all the money that they sunk into this. This silly project, <laughs> and and like and it's this and it's this like it, and it's happening on the same day that the Apple Vision Pro is, and I know everybody gets very excited when Apple does something, even when other people have done it already. Um, but I I thought that that was kind of a weird perspective because I think Apple has legitimately pushed the state of VR forward a bit here in some mm-hmm. ways, right? You talked about the displays and the cameras, right? Like, there's a lot of things that they pushed forward here. And that's going to have a knock on effect for the rest of the industry. If, if Apple never does this again, if this is just a total flop and they never touch this again, the things that they have suggested here have all will, will send ripples throughout the rest of the, the industry, Absolutely. better, better cameras, better, you know, whatever. Right. So that was expensive, right? Like, can we agree that Apple spent a lot of money to get us here? Right. Like, I mean, probably like, And since they have never sold anything in mixed reality, they probably have, it is natural that they lost a lot of money so far just trying to fix a lot of these engineering problems. Um, Let me ask you about some of the compromises that are here and how you think that they are. Obviously, we don't have a $3,500 VR headset uh, on our face today, but like some of the compromises that everybody's pretty unanimous about. Um, The external battery pack, do you feel like uh, being somebody who's used a Quest Pro, I've used a Quest Three um, now here um, since Christmas and, and loving that. Um, what do you think about the external battery pack? Is that what is that? What does that mean? Is that a good thing, a bad thing? Where we with?
0: so having used the Quest Pro, which comes with a um, headband design similar to the ones that you can upgrade for the Quest 2 and 3 that puts a battery on the back. Um, I think it was a misstep. And the reason I think it was a misstep, I think, is raised in the Verge article, which is all of the weight is on the front. And so you just have this fabric band in the back. And so integrating the battery in the back of the headset has a really useful ergonomic purpose. And Mm -hmm. I understand, you know, Apple wanted these to look like Glasses with a headband, and so they didn't want additional bulk on the back. But had they done that, it would have been more comfortable to wear. So I think yeah. that's part of it. You know, they've got a full desktop-class compute platform in those goggles, and they actually have fans, which the Quests do not need. You know, they're using a, um, a arm. A Phone style chip, and so you know those have never needed fans. You know they're very efficient in that sense, and admittedly less powerful than an M mm-hmm. two processor, whatever they're throwing in this thing. Um, so I think you couldn't have put the battery up front like you do. I think the Quest two has the battery in the front, and so does the Quest three. You know where it's that's integrated. Mm-hmm. So it couldn't be there, right? Like you couldn't have all of those fans and thermals and all of that on the front of your face and add a battery there. I think Mm. what's weird to me is the decision to make it a separate thing should really have come with the knock-on of a laptop-caliber battery. You know, I have... A MacBook Pro that's driving a better than 4K screen, and that thing will go all day for me. I'll get you know 10, 11 hours of battery life, and it's quiet and clean. And so, their decision to still use an external battery that is limited to that level is a little weird. Um, mm-hmm. My other like major complaint on it, and like very significant, this is a sore spot I have everywhere in the world, like right down to headphones, is the battery pack has a hardwired cord. Mm -hmm. And I think that is laid dumb. I really think that's Mm -hmm. a design mistake that only Apple could make because it means that if there's ever an issue with that cord with its proprietary magnet that connects and you know the only way to Hardwire this thing so you don't run out of batteries to plug a USB C cord into the battery pack. So you still have that pack. You know, there's no way to lose it because there's no USB C on the headset. There's just that wireless thing. And so maybe at some point they'll start selling an expensive wire that just has like Mm -hmm. USB C on the end that you can plug right into a wall. But I wouldn't hold my breath on it. So it seemed like despite being Some odd design compromises didn't uh, kick that back with the design benefits that you would have gotten from making that decision. And so I think it's kind of a misstep for that reason. You know, I like fundamentally, I don't have any issue with making those compromises when the battery tech just isn't there yet for any of our devices. Like that really is our stopping point. But if you're going to make me wear a fanny pack battery, then. I want a fourteen-hour f- fanny pack battery. Like I don't want to worry about it again. Like you're already making me wear this uh, dumbass thing, and you're saying that this is for all-day work. So your options are: give me a big hunk battery, or give me a way to lose it and just plug in and be corded.
1: Sure, sure. Well, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, the only other uh, piece too I wanted to bring up that I was kind of interested when you said all-day work um, is the personas. Um, this whole scanning your face. Uh, watching your eyeballs and your uh, everything, your your mouth, mm-hmm. your hands and everything, and uh, 3D rendering you uh, into Zoom calls and so on and so forth. Where are you about that? So,
0: the Verge what, um, video didn't show me the worst of this, although there were some, you know, with women's hair where, like, if you have longer hair, your hair is just kind of staying there and, like, you're shaking your head and, like, The hair's like fully stopped and doesn't work. Mm -hmm. I mean, Meta has worked on more realistic avatars for a while. They've put some R&D into it. With the Quest Pro, it had the eye tracking. And so like it did some very impressive stuff with their cartoony avatars where you could have a lot of expression a lot of, you know, picked up on what your eyes were doing and sort of intuited, you know, what the rest of your face was doing fairly believably um but i think they made a rational decision not to try to make 3d scans of people because we're just not there yet and mm-hmm. you know with a device like this it just doesn't have enough data to really get the full range of human expression and movement um mm-hmm. and i i'll tell you what it seems the most like to me to make a really good analogy when I first got my Tesla. I brought it up to you. And um, like the first thing we did with it was make it come to us, like back out of the parking lot and very slowly and creepily, like remote control it over to us. Um, And I think I've done that one other time to impress some of the neighbor kids. And Mm -hmm. that's because it's a parlor trick. Like there's really absolutely no practical application where your car backing up. 15 feet to you rather than you getting into it is going to work. You know, the fictitious Mm -hmm. world where you're in such a tight parking spot that you can't get in means you couldn't have gotten out of your car in the first place. So, like, that's Mm -hmm. never going to be better. And I feel like these avatars are that. Like, it's very much a look ma kind of parlor trick that doesn't feel like it's adding any value to anybody. And my guess is it's probably going to go by the wayside and people just aren't going to do FaceTime calls on this thing as it's not, Mm -hmm. you're not gaining any of what you get by actually doing a Zoom or doing a video call. You know, you're still, it's audio only with like kind of a QCA that doesn't work so great. And to Apple's, Mm -hmm. uh, not credit to, to give them, to spot them on this, they've said it's beta. They've said that this is not ready. So I think it's because they've said that that feature should be evaluated as a beta, and as a beta it's neat that you know it can capture facial expressions, and when you're talking it gets your mouth moving mostly the way it should, and catches you blinking and shaking your head. So it's not terrible. It's also not particularly better than what Meta's already doing. They've just made the decision to take away that uncanny fug of trying to make it too realistic and giving you a more cartoony avatar, but you still have a point of reference in space where you can look at somebody and interact and know where they are in this virtual space, which incidentally is something that very oddly is lost with these uh, avatars because they're just tiles in your virtual space rather than an avatar in your space. You know, there is like, they're not a 3D representation of the person. They're just, you know, a 2D card. So, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, I... It seemed like a weird thing to spend R&D dollars on, but like you said, I'm sure that's not going to even be on the earnings call.
1: Yeah. 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 I can't. Yeah. I can't. It's a, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. I definitely want to, you know, uh, quickly go through the stuff and I know we're probably going to wrap soon because we're uh, yep. longer than we yeah. planned to in 2024. But um, I, I did, uh, I do want to give them all the credit in the world for pushing the state of the art forward. I think, we need that i think that just the shot across the bow of them announcing that is going to inform better headsets for meta you know what i mean and and competitors outside of of meta as well um i have been and i'll probably reserve this and for our next podcast i have been playing with a, a quest 3 here now for for since christmas and uh super enjoying it i think that's a it is a it is a great uh technology i feel like sometimes looking at some of these reviews for hand tracking and pinching things and, you know, moving things around in 3d space and, 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 augmented reality are things I've been doing since Christmas. And I just thought that's how stuff worked. And like, people are, are very excited that the vision pro can do it. And so it's, it's a weird thing. Like it's, it, it is positioning itself in the media very differently. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, it would be interesting to see the response from meta once the dust settles here on launch day, right? Like that, that they can really kind of speak to the fact that like, yeah, we can also pinch to zoom and we can grab stuff and we can move it around in 3d space. And it's all, you know, like, that's just what it does. It's, we all do that. And it's, it's very exciting, you know? Um, so I, I don't, I don't know where that goes. Um, but I will say like, you know, just the, this, the, the incredible fidelity of this thing, you know, which honestly seems where the price tag comes from, right? Like, I think they're just packing this thing with the most and that that's uh you know it does have to come from somewhere you know they're passing that along to consumers obviously and that's uh you know um is something for sure but i I, i'm i am happy to see that i'm happy to see that there's like like real like like big boy tech going into these things you know Uh, even if it means that this thing is just a professional version that only businesses and and crazy people who don't work on fridays can buy then uh, you know, but I think that that's a, it is a fascinating, uh, uh, uh thing because it, it, I think it will kick the door in for everybody to see, Hey, we just need better sensors. We just need better lenses. We need better stuff, right? Like we have to get, we have to push forward in order to make the fidelity yeah. something that people are really going to want to use every day.
0: Yeah. I just wanted to cap with a, a couple of brief thoughts on this. I, I think Um, You know, when I have been watching a couple of MetaQuest 3 reviews after chatting with you, um, you know, a lot of the reviews had said, you know, if you have a MetaQuest 2, get a 3, 100%. If you have a Quest Mm -hmm. Pro and you do a lot of PC streaming, there's not a ton to gain. You know, the improvements are kind of like in that 10 to 15%, like the real benefits are going to be when people start doing standalone games that are optimized, but if you're streaming shows on and doing other stuff like the optics aren't like a huge leap over the from the pro to the three and so i think the quest pro 2 if they're going to do one is really their opportunity to attack the vision pro head-on you know like Mm. i think that's (laughs) where they build and where they have the opportunity while still because i think you can get away then with doing something that's 12 dollars $1,500 worth of tech in it and still a fucking steal compared to a Vision Pro and be much more attractive to that market of people who want the very best while you're still supporting the same ecosystem. And the Quest 3 is probably fine for 99.5% of people. Um, the one end cap I wanted to mention, you know, I mean, Apple's really – and I'm going to at some point go do a demo of one. You know, they offer them, so why mm-hmm. not strap one on and not talk out of our asses? Sure. Uh, But they really talk about this being for work and, you know, having this virtual workspace. And the thing that really broke my heart, and this is the thing that I'm going to get into capping everything I wanted to talk Mac-wise together, is when you open your MacBook and you have a Vision Pro on, it gives you a big screen. Like, it'll take the MacBook, Mm -hmm. and understands that's a MacBook, it connects automatically in that way that Apple does really nicely with their Bluetooth stuff, and projects up a MacBook monitor. The thing that hurts is it's just a monitor. It's just a single square that you get in your workspace that's just bigger than your laptop or your Apple computer, and that's the missed opportunity, because when you look at the Vision Pro apps, you can throw apps uh, every which way and all over the place, and For all of the actual productivity stuff, the work that you're going to do on a computer, not being able to just pull those apps out into space and grab it from the screen and toss it up, like just my Zoom over here or my notes over here or my Word over here, is really the heartbreaking part because the tech is there. There's no reason for them not to do that. And what I was going to talk about before we were running up against an hour is been using Macs a long time, and every time you've seen me on a Mac, it's just been chaos of Windows everywhere. Like, I've got to dig around, Mm. and you'll log on, and I won't even see you because I've got four other Windows open. Um, The last two versions, I guess, they've added Stage Manager to their Windows, Mm. and it reminds me a great deal of Fences for Windows, that third-party desktop organizer, Mm. because- If you think about, like, minimizing your app or a bunch of, like, Word document windows, like, Windows will give you that jump list when you go to, like, open it if more than one window is open. This lets you Mm -hmm. take any number of apps in any configuration. So right now I've got, uh, on my screen to describe it, uh, you're in Zoom up on the top. I've got my audio software over to the left. I've got notes for the show over to the right. Below that, I've got Ableton. And then in the right corner, I've got our Teams chat in case we need to touch base. If I touch my desktop, everything goes away and it's clean. And I've got a sidebar that has other apps or other collections of apps. And what I just reduced Mm -hmm. is in a corner and it shows me the icons for all of those apps. When I click it, all of the windows go back exactly where I put them, exactly the size that they were. And I can switch between different sets of apps. So I can have like a messaging set, a productivity set. When I'm doing work and opening files, I can have Gmail open. I can have my CRM open. I can have a PDF open so I can see what I'm doing. And it holds all of that. It just remembers it. And that's a really nice thing. And if I could do that in AR or VR, I might be uh, getting divorced to figure out how I could get $3,500 worth of headset on me because that is really the dream of productivity is that memory for this associated group of apps you know i need these five things to do a podcast and having it always in the same place and remembered and not chaotic is really beautiful and that makes it so so sad that they didn't go that extra step to put like this stage manager kind of stuff into the vision pro because i think that's that's the future that people want you know i saw one demo that Was fucking great with the Vision Pro on this woman who wore it for 24 hours and she was using a timer app while she was making dinner and she grabbed the one timer for six minutes and put it over her pasta bowl, her pasta pot on the stove and then she had a seven minute timer for her spaghetti sauce that she put over that. And then she walked away. And like, you've seen this in in AR and VR, like where things understand um, sometimes uncanny, like I'll take the meta quest to work and then come home. And it still knows where I put that room, like downstairs in the house somehow, like it's got that spatial understanding. Um, But that's very fucking cool. Like she's got hovering timers on the thing. So she knows when the timer goes off, which thing the timer is going off for. And that's... That's amazing, but I want to do that for work. You know, I want my Zoom window to be somewhere. I want my third-party apps to be lined up where I need them, so that when I come back to it, everything's there. And so, if we get there, you know, I mean, this mm-hmm. is very much a first-gen sort of beta product, and I think they're going to get Mark Zuckerberg up in the morning, and he's going to get going. And I know Microsoft is all in with Meta on this, with a very close partnership. They're bringing Game Pass and really trying to make it an ecosystem. And I think you've got kind of the two teams forming as we speak. So hopefully we mm-hmm. get there. But I thought that was a misstep given what they're trying to make this, because it's certainly not, you know, for gaming or plugging into your PC.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's great stuff. Yeah, hopefully in, in a couple of weeks here we'll, we'll, we'll do a little bit more uh, mixed reality and uh, uh, speak more about it
0: definitely want to get a full meta three rundown from you and maybe you'll um take it on your upcoming trip and test it out for some streaming and some of that other stuff
1: like see how it kind of
0: holds up in yeah, a hotel room
1: absolutely absolutely that's the uh, that's the goal for sure all right we, we have uh, made it to uh to february everybody and we will see you all in two weeks